Yo, yo, what up everyone? This is your life coach, Jacob Sokol, and welcome to WTF Should I Do With My Life. You're about to access a roadmap specifically designed for people in our generation, like you and me, who are looking to figure out how to create a life filled with happiness, success, and a deep sense of purpose, while simultaneously dealing with the challenges of today. This interview is with Alan Cohen. From psychedelic drugs and sleeping on nude beaches in the 70s to becoming a spiritual teacher and the author of 20 plus inspirational books, Alan Cohen has some serious jewels to drop. In this interview, Alan and I are going to spread some light on trying to find yourself independent of the identity that our parents laid upon us. We'll talk about how you'll know when it's time to let go and move on from where you currently are in life. We'll talk about how you can use a universal process called the hero's journey, which has guided all the people you admire. We'll talk about why we're living under a cultural mass hypnosis, which is keeping us small, insecure, unhappy, and scared to live from our heart. We'll talk about how this generation has the power to change the world. I'd love to start things off by understanding a bit about your story and some of the challenges that you faced when you were a young adult and kind of how they influenced you to the place that you're at right now. Yeah, thanks for asking. Well, uh, when I was a young adult, um, drugs were very big, and there were lots of my peers who were going over cliffs with drugs. Uh, I experimented with psychedelic drugs and pot myself at that time, and where I was coming from at the time was I was on a spiritual journey, so I actually made them both work on my behalf. I attained lots of spiritual awarenesses through them. So I guess you could say I was lucky or I had good karma or what, but that worked on my behalf. And then, of course, uh, there was a time when I moved into a, a level when I didn't want them or need them anymore, so I put them aside. I'm certainly not recommending them, but, um, you know, they were a part of my journey. But but a lot of people were misusing them, and that was that was a problem. Um, and um, what else? You know, as a young adult, you're trying to find yourself. You're trying to find out who you are. You're trying to create an identity that's independent of the identity that's been laid upon you by your parents. I think that's kind of eternal. Um, so, uh, you know, regarding young people today, I think it's really, really important to claim your authenticity, to... Uh, find out who you are independent of who your parents say you should be or your teachers or your church or the government or society and really have the guts to make a stand for what you believe in, whether it matches other people or it doesn't. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's my idea of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. And I'm curious to know what brought you from the place of being in that stage on that spiritual quest and um, kind of took you to where you are today sharing the wisdom that you found along that journey and um, connecting with so many people in a, in a way that is uh, empowering and inspiring for them to do the same. What was that journey like for you? Well, lots of trials and errors, probably mostly errors. <laughs> uh, I was an avid searcher, an avid seeker, and I went to see every guru and every teacher and every master I could, and I sat before their feet and I tried all, I firewalked and I, you know, I did everything. And I learned something from everyone. You know, like uh, my teacher once said that everybody teaches you something. Some people teach you what to do, and some people teach you what not to do. So I learned from the mistakes of others, and I learned from the mistakes of myself. But I think um, I had a willingness to try stuff. You know, I didn't 
at the age of 21, I didn't say I know it all, and this is what my life is going to be, and I'm settled in. I, I kept experimenting and traveling, and I had the guts to let things go when they no longer served me. I studied with some wonderful masters and belief systems, and there usually came a time when I realized, hey, this isn't working for me anymore. I've outgrown this. I've graduated from this. I'm ready for the next thing, and that's a courage. And so to the extent that I was ready to let go of what was not it, and claim what was the next did, that really helped me. And I've kept moving all my life. I, you know, I've had a lot of progress, and to this day, I still keep growing rapidly every day. Yeah, how do you know when it's the right time to move on? Well, uh, they say that pain pushes and vision pulls. So, <laughs> you know, when, when something is boring or feels constricting or you start to find faults and flaws in the system that you didn't used to and you're itching for something new and you meet someone or something that draws you to the next thing and you feel more excited about the next thing, well, you have to trust that process. You have to say, well, maybe spirit is guiding me here. Maybe my intuition is guiding me here. Maybe, you know, what seems safe and secure is no longer safe and secure and there's a bigger safety and security and a bigger picture belief system. Yeah, I love that, and I love that you brought up process, because I think my own experience growing up, I didn't know that there was a process. I didn't know that the things that I, were, I was going through were a normal set of circumstances to be going through, especially at that age. So the process that comes to mind now and was really useful for me to kind of place my um, own view of my life through this framework is the hero's journey. So I'd love to ask you about what is the hero's journey and what do you think the advantage of looking at our life through the frame of it is? Well, we're all on the hero's journey. We're all on the journey from fear to love, from limitation to freedom, from self-judgment and self-criticism to self-acceptance and self-celebration. So, you know, uh, Joseph Campbell put the hero's journey in context, but I, I might simplify it by saying that we, you know, we start out with what we might call a normal life where we're, we accept the parameters and, and, and guidelines and conditions that our parents and teachers say, well, this is the way the world is. And then at some point, we're called to more. Something happens that makes us wonder if the life we've been living is really it. And sometimes it's fun and sometimes it's challenging. Uh, challenging scenario, you have a divorce, a breakup, a health challenge, your parents get divorced, uh, somebody screws you over, you have a business setback, uh, financial problems, something happens that kind of kicks you out of your comfort zone and says, wait a minute, if you're going to have a happy life, it ain't going to be the way you've been taught it is. And you start to feel what some people call divine discontent, and you start reaching for more. Uh, the other way it happens is that you you meet somebody, a teacher, a master, a guide, a guru, or you fall in love, or you travel to Maui or Constantinople or, you know, someplace that really rings your chimes and you meet someone or a place or a belief system that, that shows you a bigger life than you've known. You go, whoa, I had no idea this existed. This is, this is like, <laughs> this is great, man. Let me, let me do more of this. And so you, you're excited about moving ahead and, and embracing a bigger universe than the one you've known. And then, uh, you know, there are always challenges. You know, something comes up that says you shouldn't do this or you feel blocked or you have an emergency or setback. 
And then you always have guides and mentors who move you ahead and motivate you and push you ahead. And it goes on and on like that. And then there's usually a death of something old, a symbolic death. You, you may have to let go of your marriage or move out from your parents or just admit that the business you started isn't going to happen or you just need to get out of your house or something like that. And you have to say goodbye to something that was once alive. And it's scary and it's hard and you have resistance. But then you surrender and something new happens. You, you know, you're available. You have more space on your disk for something new and wonderful. And then you know, every death is followed by a rebirth. There's no such thing as death without rebirth. Death is not final at all. It's a, it's a transition. And then you have a new life, and uh, it goes on for a while, and then it starts all over again. You, you think your new life is it, and then something comes along and says, hey, maybe there's a bigger world. And we keep moving to greater and greater adventures and more and more soul satisfaction. That's pretty good. It's a pretty good summary in two minutes. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. And then the fact that that is a universal process. For me, kind of looking back when I was 21 years old, I'm 27 now, I was facing all these weird challenges, and I thought that I was abnormal to be going through these circumstances, and I didn't know where to turn to, and um, I didn't really know the process well enough to be able to have the awareness of, hey, this is what's happening, and I think sometimes that that awareness alone can be somewhat curative, and I didn't have that. So I think two big challenges that young adults are facing is answering the questions of, you know, these deep existential questions of who am I and what am I here to do? And in many ways, I think that this part of our life, the you know early 20s, late teens, even sometimes early 30s, is an identity quest. Um, so how much of the hero's journey is, is an identity quest? All of it. All of it. You know, um, I, I love what you said about your, you know, 21 and 27 and 28. Uh, I, too, have had major, major shifts every seven years, uh, 7, 14, 21, 28, and there, thereafter. And my big spiritual awakening came when I was 21. I was a very straight college student, and I was in my head and playing games unconsciously. And, I, you know, I lived a fairly shallow life. Uh, I had a good heart, but I was caught up in academia and, and, and competition and, you know, just a lot of shallow stuff. And then I had this spiritual awakening. It was like, wow, like a firecracker went off my butt. And it was like, this, you know, I have to do something else. And that, that threw me on, I, my entire life changed when I was 21. By the time I was 22, I was no longer the same person. And what you're going through, Jacob, when other people go through a 21 or 28 or 25 or whatever, is really, really healthy. It's all healthy. You're, you're not weird. There's, there's nothing wrong with you. In fact, what you thought was wrong with you is what was right with you. And then I had another big shift when I was 28. You know, and this, I'm not into astrology, but... Um, but there is a thing called the Saturn return, and it means that around 28 years old, a lot of people have big, big changes in their life, divorces or moves or, you know, or, health, or career something. So um, it's, it's actually par for the course. So just, you know, get on the boat and go with the river. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so in the movie Finding Joe, you asked the question, if the hero's journey is simple by design, why isn't it that everyone's living it? And some of the other people in the movie, you know, gave their answers. And they, some people said, 
because we're trans-style consumers and that keeps the enterprise going, or we're a bundle of conditioned reflexes, or because we're afraid of what other people may think of us. And what you suggested is um, that we live under a, a mass hypnosis. So can you explain what you mean by that, and what role does this mass hypnosis uh, have on our understanding of who we are and where we should be in life? Great question. Thank you for asking. Um, mass hypnosis is a cultural agreement that the way it is is the way it is. And unfortunately, uh, most of those agreements are negative and limiting, and limiting that there has to be war, there has to be poverty, there has to be hunger. People are always fighting. One religion is better than another. If you don't belong to my religion, I get to kill you. And you know, all kinds of really weird, archaic, primitive Neanderthal beliefs that are really very small. And the reason few people question them is because there's such a mass agreement. You watch television, you listen to news, you watch movies, and even though a lot of these media seem to be unique and have a unique message, there is an undercurrent agreement that you're small and limited and stupid and other people run your life and you're powerless and money is where it's at and sex is where it's at and status is where it's at and it's looking like you're 21 when you're 85 is where it's at. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's, there's just a huge, huge hypnosis that most people succumb to. The, the best metaphor I like for this is the, true, the movie The Truman Show. Have you seen that, Jacob? Yes, I have. Jim Carrey, basically he's, he's on TV, he doesn't know it, and they're filming his life, and he starts to get wind that he's living in a phony world. And he, you know, he starts to try to escape, but he's blocked at every turn. And someone asks the producer, sitting up on this platform in the cloud somewhere, could he escape if he wanted to? And the producer says something very profound. He says, you know, he could get out anytime he wants, but the truth is he prefers his world. Well, ultimately, he doesn't prefer his world, and he escapes. It's a great movie, one of my favorites. And the truth is that any one of us can escape from mass conditioning anytime if we just begin to think for ourselves and tell our own truth and live authentically. That would break the hypnosis. And just like the emperor's new clothes, Somebody says, look, Mommy, the emperor has no clothes on. And eventually everybody says, yeah, duh, you know, I should have known it all along. And that's kind of one of the awakenings we're going through as a culture in the world now is we're slowly, painfully starting to wake up more joyfully as we go to the fact that the emperor doesn't have any clothes on and they ain't worth following him around. Yeah. So how do we do that? How do we think different? I mean, it's... I don't want to say it's easy or not. Certainly it didn't feel easy to start to break that for myself, but maybe that's me being under that mass hypnosis and subscribing to that belief and value system that that is the, the you know dominant way or easy way to go. How do we do that when we live in cultures that bombard us with advertisement and big corporations have you know, incentives to make our, you know, our, our low self-worth, I think, is big business, the fact that we're not good enough as we are right now, and we need to purchase a product so that, you know, we can feel better about ourselves, and that'll raise our value um, as a person. I mean, those are deep psychological mind fucks. How do, how do we move past that stuff? Well, that's another great question. Thank you. Uh, you have to be really honest about what works for you and what doesn't. Um, you know, as you said, a lot of these products and advertisements keep us small. And when you're tired of feeling small and acting small, living small, 
you get really hungry to live large. And so you, you have to, you just have to be really honest about, you know, I knew, I knew a girl um, in the age range you're talking about, and she really, excuse me, she really wanted to um, be a famous singer. And she was a good singer, and she was pretty, and she had a lot of talent. But all she could think about was getting her name in lights in Las Vegas. And I watched her career, and she was, she was totally the effect of her career. She was completely monopolized by trying to be a famous singer. And she would do silly things like sleep with creepy producers and sell herself out in all kinds of ways. And it was really sad because she was lovely and she was talented, but she was so hungry to be famous that she, she lost herself. She lost her soul in the process, and her soul was the very thing that made her a great singer in the first place, so it was kind of tragic. Um, I, she ended up getting married and having a baby, but that was another, another journey. But, um, but the idea is that if she would realize how much pain she was in trying to live up to somebody else's expectations of getting her name in lights of Las Vegas, yeah, I know other people have taken another route, and they say, hell with Las Vegas, I'm going to sing from my heart. And so they write from their heart, and they sing from their heart, and they live from their heart, and they actually become very, very successful. And maybe they don't make to Vegas, but they become successful in other ways because they chose to live from their heart rather than from fear or conditioning. So there's another piece to the answer, and that's that um, if you hang out with people of higher consciousness or like mind, you have a better chance of breaking the spell. Uh, in Hinduism and, and, and Eastern spirituality, it's called satsang. It means the company of truth. So you don't go to parties where people are stoned all the time. You don't go to parties where people are drunk all the time. You don't go to single bars and, and flaunt your stuff just for the sake of flaunting your stuff and, and, and hooking, you know, and, uh, hooking somebody. You try to hang out with quality people for quality reasons, and then in that milieu you associate with people of higher consciousness and that company actually leads you to higher ground because you've chosen it and you've chosen people who are in agreement with it. Yeah, it's like the quote I've heard Jim Rohn say, which is, you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. So if you want to become a better person, you know, spend time with people who are going to average you up. Um, cool. That's something that has been really helpful for me to, to you know, face and embrace. And um, you mentioned that the girl, you, you know, that other people can kind of, don't need to go for fame in order to be successful. So what's your personal definition of success, and what's your approach to achieving that? Uh, my, my definition of success is living in harmony with my true heart's choices and my true soul's choices and allowing the life that I'm living in the outer world to be a true reflection of who I am inside. That's real success. Uh, Another way of saying it is inner peace. If you're at peace with yourself and your life, your success, no matter how much money you make or how many people like you or how many, uh, how many books you have on Amazon or what number your book is on Amazon, like if you can sleep at night knowing that the day you lived was one that you chose rather than one that others chose for you, I think you're a real success. Yeah, so how do you go about achieving that? It's one thing to say, all right, I, I want to be in alignment with my true heart and my, my, kind of, my soul, I want to tap into that, and I want to be authentic. How do you go about practicing those things, especially if, if you don't know who you are all that well, if, you, if you're asking those big questions, who am I, what am I here to do? How do we start working towards that? 
It's actually pretty simple. It, it, it takes some practice, but it's pretty simple. Um, in my workshops, I ask people to take out a piece of paper and make two columns. And on the left column, you write at the top, it, I-T, and at the right column, you write, not it. And in the left column, you make a list of the things that you do in the course of a day, week, month, or year that lights you up, that make you happy, that are fun, that you want to do, that you want to get up to do, that you always feel happy after you did it, that, that feel you from the inside out. It, you know, it may be walking in nature, playing with your dog, or making love, or playing music, or dancing, or telling jokes, or... You know, it's just stuff that makes you feel good. It's really simple. What makes you feel good from the inside out? In the other column, you make a list of stuff that deadens you to do it. Well, emails bug me, or, or going to meetings bugs me, or living in my parents' house is really stifling, or, you know, when my boss nails me for unnecessary things, that bugs me. And you start, you start making a list of what lifts you and what depresses you. And then you say, okay... I will do my best now to expand and amplify the stuff on the left side of the list, and I will now make efforts to decrease or diminish or erase the stuff on the right side of the list. And suddenly you have a roadmap to freedom. That's the way that game works. Hmm. Interesting. So let's say I'm working as a uh, you know, help desk engineer. I'm working the, the IT you know, computer trading floor of a uh, firm in Manhattan, and I'm 23 years old, and these guys are cursing like a bunch of sailors you know, and you know, doing all kinds of things that are, for them, work, but for me are totally out of alignment with the, the things that I care about, that list. You know? well, how, do I, how do I go about doing something? You know, I'm young. I don't really know what my options are, where's, where's the action step? Is it not showing up to work and figuring out, okay, well, now what do I do? Or is it finding that in, inner harmony in that situation and while figuring out what the next thing may be? Well, it could come from any one of a number of angles. Uh, one way is, like, let's say you say you need the money and you, you know you want to be here for a little while at least, so you, you find ways to harmonize at your current position and you say, well, uh, you know, what could I, how could I de de decorate my cubicle so it's more fun? Uh, how can I maximize the aspects of this job that I like, and how can I minimize what sucks? Uh, you know, you start to find ways to be at peace with your job where you are. You ask yourself, how is my resistance hurting me? Because sometimes, you know, your resistance to what's happening hurts you more than the actual situation. So you you work to come into harmony with your job where you are. That's one way to do it. Another way to do it, as you mentioned astutely, is that you start <laughs> to do things that are fun and leading you to a more passionate career even while you're in the job. So in the evenings, you take photography class, you work on your graphics, you, um, you, know, you, you study with somebody you respect, you hang out with people you like, you do your dance, you, you travel. I mean, you... You make use of every moment of your free time to maximize stuff that's joyful. And I know many, many people, Jacob, who have done that, and gradually they work their way out of an oppressive job, and they end up having a career that really empowers them because it's passionate. So you, you, kind of, you kind of do it gradually, and you step into it, and when the time is right, you make your move. I know other people gone cold turkey. They say, this is not it. I don't belong here. I don't, I don't care what I do. I'm not staying in this job. My boss is bugging me every day, and everything is rules and complications and legalities and protections. 
I don't want to be here. I'm out of here. And they leave. Now, uh, I'm going I'm to mention four names to you, Jacob, and our listeners, and I want to see if you can tell me what they all have in common, okay? Sure. Uh, Steve Jobs, mm-hmm. Bill Gates, Michael Dell, and Larry Ellison, I believe it is, of, um, you know who it is. Uh, of, of Google? No, um, uh, there's another big software company, well, like the third largest. Oh, I- IBM? I don't know. I'll remember it. Sun? Sun? Okay. And it's, uh, um, anyway, what do you think those four people have in common? Well, um, they're all technology uh, innovators and visionaries and entrepreneurs. Yeah, very true. Um, they, none of them finished college. Uh, uh. Now, Steve Jobs um, quit college and he started uh, doing calligraphy. And that's how he got into fonts. <laughs> you know, that was his dream. And so, and Michael Dell was building computers in his dorm room, and he got so successful, he said, hell with college, I'm going to build computers, and on and on and on. And um, so, you know, these guys had the guts to say, hey, why do something that's stifling me? I'd rather do something that's more fun. And they all built huge empires uh, from following their passion. So, you know, there's lots of ways to do it, but the important thing is to trust your passion, to move with what lights you, to, to not fall to the hypnosis that I must do a boring, hateful job for the rest of my life, and to recognize that you have a unique gift that the world is waiting to receive, and if you can find the courage to give it, people will love you, they will support you, they will thank you, and they will pay you. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that. So I, I want to leave you with one last question, leave things on an up note. What are you excited about about the future? Well, I, I that's a really good question too. Thanks, and we can go on over time. You know, if if you want. Um, you know, I think that the the world is going through a major transformation at the moment. I think that a lot of systems and institutions that seem so solid uh, are crumbling. And I think it's a wonderful thing. It's like. You know, governments are crumbling, and the economy is crumbling, and marriage is crumbling, and on and on and on. You know, not for everybody, of course, but in, in, in lots of cases, uh, education is not is not doing what it was originally supposed to do. Healthcare is not doing what it's supposed to. Do. And so, what I think is happening and going to happen is, I think that a lot of these systems that are dysfunctional and top-heavy and not really serving people in the way they were tended to do. I think they're crumbling, and they're going to be replaced by new and better systems, by people like you, by people in Anthea and Theos, by you know people young, you know, young people, 14, 15, 16, 21, 28, who have big ideas, who are not subject to the old games, who are creative, who are thinking differently, who are coming from their spirit, who are coming from their passion, and I think that we're going to see a, kind of an overturn and have lots of new ways of doing things that have very little ways to do with the old ways they were done, but are better because people are coming from freshness and innocence and honesty and connection to their inner power. That's, that's my prediction. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I did um, another interview with a lady, Pilar Gerissimo, who runs Experience Life magazine, and I asked her a similar question, and she said, that um, she felt like some of the best business opportunities in the future were going to be for this generation um, figuring out how to solve problems that 
need to be fixed in the world because the way things are working or the way things are going aren't currently working. And while we can look at that and say, oh, that sucks, on the other hand, we can look at it and say that's an incredible, um, meaningful opportunity for us to do work that we care about and engage in things that are in alignment with purpose and spirit and soul and, and create a fulfilled life and make, you know, make a, a financially stable and, and prosperous life out of that. Absolutely. And I see you as one of the leaders of that. I can hear it in your energy. I hear your verbiage and I hear your vision. I, I think you and people and your peers will be doing that. You know, it's like it's like this thing with oil and energy. It's like, I mean, how, how, how long does it take to get that oil isn't going to do the trick for us anymore? And, you know, so people are finding alternative ways to, to work energy. I mean, there's solar energy and wind energy and water energy, and there's free energy. There are people who have invented energy machines that extract energy from the universe, and, and they're pretty much renewable. There are people who have went to, invented engines that run on water. I mean, these things are all documented on the web if you want to go looking for them. And I think Henry Ford said, if I listened to my forebears, I would have just tried to invent a better horse. But, you know, horses will take you just so far, but cars will take you a lot farther. And, you know, I think Orvin Wilbur Wright's father, who was a fundamentalist minister, said that if man was meant to fly, he would have had wings. And he thought that his, his son's work was the work of the devil. Well, you know, wow. there's always people who are, you know, stuck in the old way. So you have to think in new ways. You cannot, you cannot use, you know, in the Bible it says you can't put new wine in old wineskins because the wineskins will burst. So you just have to think something new, new and entirely different. And that's the gift of the new generations that you guys are, you know, you guys are coming at it from a different angle. And that's exactly what's needed. That's what's going to change the world. I love it. Well, I want to respect and honor your time, and thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. Um, and thank you for all the practices that you do and, you know, all the cultivation of your talents and abilities and um, your own personal approach to living on this planet and not really fully understanding how much that affected me and people I know in my life and um, people just way beyond that and how that will continue to affect people in the future. So I want to honor and thank you and um, hope you have a fantastic rest of the day. Thank you. Hey, you know, can I steal one more minute from you? Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Because you just said something that really got my attention. Um, when, I was, uh, when I was 14 years old, I adopted Orthodox Judaism as my religion, and I, I really enjoyed practicing it for uh, many, many years. It was very helpful to me. And then when I was about 21, I got kind of bored with it, and uh, it kind of played itself out for me. And one day was a fast day, and you're not supposed to eat. And um, I was very hungry, and I was wondering why I wasn't eating. And I realized that the only reason was fear, that that I was afraid that I would go to hell or be punished if I if I broke the religion's rules. And in that moment, Jacob, you're Jewish, right? Do you, uh, you have a Jewish name, yes? I am, yep. Okay, good. So from one brother, one tribe member to another. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my dad would be proud if I told you that I was a Kohen, whatever that means. I'm too Americanized to, to know at this point. But uh, Well, a Kohen is actually the priestly lineage. Um, yeah. There were 12 tribes of Israel, 10 of which got lost, and uh, two of which are remembered. And one is the uh, Kohens, which were the priests in the temple thousands of years ago. So you're part of a priestly lineage. Anyway, um, so uh, I wasn't supposed to eat, and I, I realized that the only reason I was doing this was out of fear. And in that moment, I decided that fear 
was not a good enough reason to do a religious act. And so I ate the cake, ate a piece of cake, <laughs> and uh, that was the end of Judaism for me. And I traveled, I slept on nude beaches and met women and had lots of fun. It was like I kind of played out my teenage years for a couple of years while I was in college. Uh, anyway, um, and, and that set me onto the spiritual path because I started meeting gurus and teachers and traveling and learning a lot. And, and that really, really um, opened me. And it was the beginning of my spiritual path in many ways which led to me writing books and moving to Hawaii and teaching all over the world and on and on and on. Anyway, uh, many, 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 many years later, after my whole career had blossomed in amazing, miraculous ways, I did a retreat in Maui called the Mastery Training, and I told that story about the cake. And a guy comes up to me after the program, and he shakes my hand, my hand and he says, I really want to thank you for eating that cake. <laughs> And, you know, that was all he had to say, but what he meant was, if you hadn't eaten that cake, you would not have been launched onto your spiritual path, which led to many, many events, which led to me being here for this week studying with you, which led to my life changing in a huge way. So thank you for eating that cake, because, because you did, my life is better for it. So you never, ever know what the effect of one act of courage or integrity on your part will do to heal the planet. I guess that's a good message to leave folks with, huh? Sounds great. Again, thanks so much for your time and excited to connect again in the future and share this with you when, uh, when it's out there. Thanks, Jacob. Keep up the great work, brother. Okay. Fantastic. Bye-bye. Take Bye-bye. care. Let's take a look at some of my favorite big ideas from this interview. Big idea number one, we're all on a journey. We start out on a normal journey, and then something out of the ordinary happens, and we get a kick out of our comfort zone. We meet a teacher, we fall in love, or we realize that there's a bigger life than we knew existed. Now, challenges are inevitable. They'll come, expect them, and know that you can find the guidance and the mentors to help you get through them. Let go and say goodbye to something that was once alive, whether it's your job or your family, because death is followed by a rebirth. You're not weird for going through what you're going through. All that journeys, challenges, and obstacles. Big idea number two, we're living under a mass hypnosis. Mass hypnosis is a cultural agreement that the way it is is the way it is. And most of these agreements are negative and limiting. Nobody questions them because they're everywhere. The news, TV, movies, products. And there's this subtle message that says you're small, you're limited, you're stupid, you're powerless, and other people run your life. It says that money, status, and beauty is where it's at. But we have the ability to escape this mass conditioning if we just begin to think for ourselves, if we begin to tell our truth and to live authentically, that would break the hypnosis. You have to be really honest about what works for you and what doesn't. When you're tired of living small, you get really hungry to live large. Surround yourself with people of higher consciousness. This helps to break out of the hypnosis. Hang out with quality people and that company will lead you to higher ground. Big idea number three is success. Allen defines success as living in harmony with your heart's choices and allowing the life you're living in the outer world to be a true reflection of who you are inside. Here's an exercise to help get you into alignment. Take out a piece of paper and make two columns. The first column, label it it. The second column, label it not it. On the left side, write all the things that light you up, that make you happy, and that make you feel good. These are the things that lift you up. 
on the right side, write all the things that kill you and depress you and suck the juice out of your soul. Alan calls this your roadmap to freedom. Do the things that light you up and stop doing the things that don't. Now one last thing we want to mention is a movie called Finding Joe. This is where I first found out about Alan from and the movie is incredible. When I'm having a crappy day, if I throw this movie on, life just becomes better. So head on over to sensify.com slash findingjoe to check that out. That's S-E-N-S-O-P-H-Y dot com slash findingjoe. Soul Sibling, thank you so much for rocking with us. I appreciate you, and I appreciate that you're using your time and your energy toward making yourself a better person and the world a better place. So... If you'd like to keep in touch, I'd love it if you subscribe to the podcast, and I'm excited to deepen our relationship, to get to know each other better over time, and to see how I can help you solve meaningful challenges and create your most fulfilled life. We've got a great community over here, and we run retreats all over the world. We've got people who connect with each other and support each other in living the most fulfilled life. And what I'd suggest for your next step is to grab a copy of The 12 Things Happy People Do Differently. It's a scientific-based approach to happiness, and there's a lot of great wisdom out there, but this in particular is researched back from some of the world's leading positive psychologists in the world, and it's super grounded, super practical, how you could do these 12 things that happy people do differently and rock it. The article's been shared over 100,000 times on Facebook and there's some magic in there. So in order to grab a copy of that, you can go to thankyoujacob.com. Sounds simple and it is. Thankyoujacob.com and uh, grab that immediately and I will keep in touch through personal emails that I send out a couple times a month and all that goodness. So for now, sending you lots of love. Keep it real. Follow your heart but bring your head. Peace.